Hello again, campers, friends, and frenemies. Marvin B. here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast. We are in the midst of the live show Wednesday evenings at 8 p.m. This is the show for IT professionals everywhere, where we do everything we can to help you run your business better, smarter, and faster. Tonight, I am joined by my good friend, my attorney, and fellow Florida man, Bradley Gross. Brad, how are you? Good evening. I'm doing well. Doing uh, well. All right. Good thanks to see for you again. Thanks for coming on the show. I I took a little bit of a break, and I should start by acknowledging that and letting everybody know that all is well in the B family. Brad, I don't know if you knew this, but at the beginning of January, right as I was about ready to kick off the new year, mom got sick, mm, and not, not just sick, but cancer. Oh. And uh, it hit her pretty hard. She mm-hmm. she had gone through two previous bouts with cancer and successfully fought and won. This is round three, but this is a little different. This is a this is a bone cancer, a myeloma, multiple myeloma, mm. and it's pretty rare. And for African Americans, it's not fun. No, I'm sorry to hear that. She was in the hospital for a couple of weeks, but uh, happy to say she is home. She is doing her independent thing, getting her chemo and her dialysis, and uh, we hope all is well. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's a fighter. Sounds like she's a fighter. She continues to fight. She is. She is. Great. All right. So why don't we go ahead and start with getting some of your housekeeping stuff out of the way. I wanted to get you on here because I heard that you were going to be doing a ton of traveling this year. Yes. Well, so. I hope to. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm glad to see that traveling has, uh, has opened up again. Uh, now mask mandates are being dropped, so that's good, although not on the airlines, which is peculiar to me, that the government says you don't have to wear a mask anymore, the, and the, the airlines still say you have to wear a mask because of the guidelines of the CDC. They right. dropped it. So I'm not quite sure how that works, but either way, roadshows are roadshows. So, yes, I will be uh, – I was in Houston last month. I'm going to be in Kansas City this month, uh, Chicago the month after that. Uh, I'm traveling – doing a great deal of traveling with the the ASCII group, the industry group ASCII. So uh, it should be – it should be fun. Should be fun. Looking forward to um, appearing in Las Vegas this summer with uh, Kaseya as well. So – it's, uh, it's good. That's, that's not the reason you're going to Vegas, really, is it? You're just using that as an excuse? That is the reason that I'm admitting on camera that I'm going to <laughs> Vegas. What are you, a cop? No, I'm going to. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll be in Vegas. <laughs> I also can say it will be. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, so a lot of these. Now, you're not the typical channel vendor. Um, you're not out there with, you know, your signs front and back, you know, shouting your wares and throwing out the tchotchkes and, and stuff like that. But are you going to be doing any presenting this year at, at those shows? Yes. So that's what, what I do. Um, I go to those shows and I collect the tchotchkes that everybody else is giving away. And Lord knows if I have another uh, a cooler or, you know, a thermos bottle or um, stress ball. I have about 50 of those, right? I don't know why I keep bringing them home. I just have to. Uh, but no, I, I will 
present. At, at whenever I go, the idea is that um, I'm there to give an education to the people who attend. I'm there for to have them rethink and re-question the way they're doing things in a good way, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Rethink the way uh, they are handling their business process, the way they are wording and um, uh, developing their customer-facing agreements, uh, rethinking and reshaping the way that they implement uh, their agreements and their contracts into the business process. Uh, I just did a podcast, as a matter of fact, uh, called uh, Lost in Translation. And the idea is that you can have the greatest contract in the world, you know, covers every uh, situational reality that you can think of. But if you don't implement it correctly, if you somehow in your zeal to get the deal in the door, forget to implement it or forget to have it signed or think I'll get it signed later on, you know, things like that doesn't really matter. Right? So the question is, how do you improve and make sure that that doesn't happen? How do you make sure that your salespeople actually get documents signed? How do you get customers to accept them? So it's not just what the contract says. Sometimes it's getting it signed, getting it executed, getting it accepted. So I talk about things from start, you know, bringing the customer in to finish executing that deal. Well, funny you should mention that early. I was going to mm -hmm. ask you about that later, but that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Uh, I wanted to, of course, use this as an opportunity to ask you a couple of follow-up questions to sure. both that last episode and definitely the one before it. But in terms of the one you just referenced, Lost in Translation, um, you, you okay. make a very important point that everyone should sign an MSA. And right. we've talked about this in the past. You know, we talk about going into stores, going into Sears, and, you know, they make you fill out the stuff, and we don't think twice about it. Right. But yet our customers seem to have a little bit of a fit. You know, why are you presenting me with this document? I just want you to fix the computer. Right. And uh, I've used that almost as a little tool to see if you're serious or not about wanting my help. And yeah. before I even go on site – we have now implemented a policy where we send out a customer sign-up form mm -hmm. and attached to that form is an MSA agreement. Right. So before we go on site or before we, you know, engage in any talks, you got to sign that one at least. Yeah. Then well, we'll have a statement of, of work later. Your, your point is a good one that you can use it as a litmus test, right? Some sort of um, a, a test to determine whether they are engaged, whether your client is willing to put uh, skin in the game. I think that as far as having them accept it, there are two ways to do it. And either way works. It really depends on the business and how they want to implement the, the agreement. You could have your customer sign it. And I think every, every, we're going to begin with the premise that every MSP should have a, a master service agreement and every customer of that MSP must accept that agreement, must accept it. It could be done by signing it. That's one way to do it. And then you put it away and then every quote or statement of work after that references it. Another way to do it is to post it. Right to post your master agreement somewhere, maybe at a SharePoint type location uh, that you have to be directed to, and then every quote specifically references it and says, you know, by accepting what you're doing here, you're accepting that document. Give the location, give the URL, and make it clear and unambiguous. Right, 
that there's another document that governs this transaction. It's our MSA. You know, the benefit of that, of course, is that you've lowered the bar of entry. You've made it easy for them to accept the MSA because they're doing it by accepting your quote or your statement of work. And if it's done correctly, that's another really good and easy way to get your customers to accept your document that protects you from a legal perspective, manages expectations, but allows you to focus on what you're doing, which is giving a proposal, giving a quote, providing a service. So so if you just simply post it, for instance, say we give a job quote or, or statement of work and reference that our master service agreement is located at this link, mm-hmm. we make sure that the link works, but customer signs the document but actually never reads it, Mm-hmm. something happens down the road and they're like, well, I, I didn't realize that that was part of it. Um, normally it's like, well, you should have read the agreement that's on you, but a lot of times they may push back. So how do you advise us, I guess, on making sure that yes, have it posted somewhere, have a link that works, but making sure that they see what it is or at least understand what it means. Sure. So the question of whether your customer is actually going to read your MSA or not is, is an interesting one. Um, I can tell you this. If you were to get angry at Microsoft and say, I'm going to sue them, you're going to end up in the state of Washington. Now, you might say, well, I don't know where all the viewers we're talking to right now are located. Maybe they're in New York. Maybe they're in Florida. Maybe they're in Texas. How do I know you're going to end up in Washington? The same way that I know that if you get angry with Google, most likely you're going to end up in California. Why? Because they all have end-user license agreements that they require you to accept. And when you accept them, they have jurisdiction provisions in them. And those jurisdiction provisions say, if you want to come after us, you come to us. And you've agreed to that. And those are fully enforceable. And usually you click right through those without thinking twice, right? And user license agreements are more of a uh, a legal speed bump for most people than anything else. But just because you haven't read the agreement doesn't mean that you're not going to be uh, required to uh, adhere to it. And in fact, I can tell you in most cases, most with very few exceptions, you will have to adhere to it regardless. Well, I, I clicked right through it. I didn't read it. Right doesn't matter. Well, um, it didn't require me to read it, right? It didn't require me. I, yes, I was aware that it exists. I wasn't required to read it to continue with the service. That might be true. Nonetheless, they're enforceable. So the idea, the concept that we're talking about here is the exact same. Just because your customer doesn't read your agreement doesn't mean it's not enforceable. doesn't mean you can't use it. What you do have to make sure of is that your agreement uh, is it is it is clear, it is unambiguous, and it is obvious to a reasonable person, in this case your customer, that this other document exists. You can tell tell them where it is, right? And they understand that by accepting what they're accepting now, they accept the terms of that other document. And you encourage them to actually look at that document before accepting the document that's on the screen. If you do all of that, it really quite candidly doesn't concern me from a legal perspective whether your customer ends up actually reading that document, right? Are you hiding it? No. I would say that by putting a disclaimer right up front in a clear, unambiguous way, 
that there is a master agreement that governs. And by accepting this, you accept that. And if you don't like it, don't accept this document. Call us. Contact us. Don't accept. Don't sign. Right? I'd say you're highlighting it. I'd say you're highlighting it. From a business psychology perspective, let's say, um, is it likely that your customer will read that MSA? Well, I guess if you're going to read the the stats and, you know, human nature being what it is, I think there's probably a good chance if we're being genuine to say, no, they're not going to read it, right? Maybe they'll click it. Maybe they won't. Even if they click it, they're going to see, ah, you know, it's a PDF. It's located online. We probably can't negotiate. This it's nine thing. pages. I don't want to take yeah, the time. I'm not going to read it, right? It's probably standard stuff. And they'll just continue along the merry way. But in truth, that's not really relevant from my perspective. My perspective is, did you point it out? Yeah. Is it obvious? Yeah. Clearly stated? Yes. Did it work? The link work? Yeah. Okay. All right. We're good to go. Well, I really wanted to get to your previous episode. That's what really caught my attention. And I like the way you started off. And I should probably go back and let the listeners know. I think by now, if you've been a longtime listener of my podcast, you know that Brad has his own podcast called the Technology Bradcast, and that's what we're referring to this evening. And your last episode in 2021 basically was, this is going to be the most important podcast you ever did. Right. And it was titled, Avoiding the Biggest Legal Threat to MSPs. Yes, sir. And so that caught my attention, especially when you use you know, big 25 cent words like fiduciary. Right. (laughs) For sure. It's um, a very expensive word. Yes. Um, And I think for the most part, we understand the premise that Mm -hmm. there is this idea. And I think it's growing as we start to have more and more companies dealing with cyber insurance. They are starting to legalize a lot of this stuff hold MSPs more and more accountable when something happens to a client and the client says, well, my IT guy was supposed to take care of that. Yeah. Or we thought they were taking care of it. Yeah. Or when a client declines a service uh, because the client is just generally ignorant of the importance of it, right? Purposely or unintentionally, either way, they decline a service. And then the bad thing that was going to happen that you said was going to happen happens. And then they turn around and say, that's on you. That's on you MSP. And well, you could turn around and say, why should that be on me? Right. I, you declined it. There is an analogy that uh, can be drawn to medicine, um, which we could draw right now. If for those of you who haven't heard the, the podcast yet, um, the idea is this, <clears throat> Right now, historically, uh, MSPs, the relationship that MSPs have with their customers is a creature of contract, okay? That's how it has been. I believe that's how it still is, meaning if it's in the contract, you get it. If it's not, you don't, and parties are going to be held to whatever the contract says, right? You have an MSA, you have a proposal, quote, statement of work, what have you, whatever's in there. You have to be held to, and whatever is not in there is not your responsibility. Okay, that's history. But in my travels, I think about these issues, and I think, you know, where might bottom feeder attorneys, ambulance chasers, right, where might a cottage industry grow? 
against MSPs. And, and why might a cottage industry grow? Well, you know, that's where the money is. That's where the data is. That's where the action is with MSPs. They are becoming ubiquitous. If we turned around, you know, if we went back 10 years ago and then looked ahead of where we are today, we'd say, oh, my God, the growth has been exponential, right? MSPs now are really instrumental to B2B uh, and, and in many cases B2C commerce. So where are they vulnerable? If it's a contract, then, you know, if I told you to do something and you didn't do it, it's not in the contract, I'm not responsible as an MSP, right? Hmm. Well, here's the analogy that I was thinking of. And I think plaintiff's lawyers are going to start to think of it too. If you go to a doctor, right? If you go to a doctor and there is a, uh, you're having a problem with your shoulder, all right? So you go to the doctor, take off your shirt, doctor looks over at your shoulder and he sees a big thing growing out of your neck let's say, right? Doctor looks and thinks, huh, that's not good. Anyway, what's up with your shoulder? And just ignores your neck, right? Sees it, but ignores it. And then, God forbid, something bad happens because of the growth on your neck. What would you do? You would turn around and you'd say, Doc, you're responsible for that. Why? I went to you for my shoulder, but you saw this problem. You saw this issue that I was having. As a doctor, we have a doctor-patient relationship. It is such a trusted relationship. It is one that I rely on that you probably should have said something. And had you said something, I may not be in the position I'm in now having to you know, deal with the fact that nobody told me about the dire consequences of this, right? Med-mal, that's really where it is. Now, I understand med-mal is largely a creature of statute. There are statutes talking about responsibility and all. But the issue is not of malpractice. The issue is one of fiduciary duty, a trusted relationship. When you have a trusted relationship with somebody, a relationship that is so intimate, so important that we as a society look at it and say, you have a duty to act responsibly you have a duty, an affirmative duty to act affirmatively to help the person who has that fiduciary relationship with you. Okay? You have a duty to do that. And if you fail to act in that way, well, you might be responsible. So I'm thinking, might MSPs have a fiduciary duty to their customers? Well, again, going back, it's usually a creature of contract, right? If it's not in the contract, we don't do it. Right? I'm going to paint your uh, kitchen and your living room. I didn't paint your bathroom. Well, it's not in the contract. I don't owe that to you, right? But MSPs are not painters. We are not just people who do common household things. We are in control of data. We are in control of email. We are in control of operating systems. We are controlling the exchange of communications. And in fact, most MSPs advertise themselves as your trusted partner, right? Yep. We are your yep. trusted partner. You can rely on our expertise. Yep. You, so, you worry about your business, we'll worry about the IT. Right. Now, thinking about it that way, one of these MSPs that advertises or promotes itself as a trusted partner, don't worry about things we have you covered, right, goes and runs in uh, uh, some sort of system check on a, on a customer and realizes that they should have MFA, right? Multi-factor, multi-factor uh, authentication. Okay. They offer that to the customer. The customer declines it. We don't need it. It's too much effort. Our, our salespeople won't use it. We're declining it. 
be declining. And of course, then the bad thing happens or some sort of phishing attack that could have been prevented with MFA and they turn around and point the finger at the IT uh, uh, company. Might the plaintiff's attorney say, listen, you are a trusted partner. You have this incredible knowledge. We are relying on you. In fact, that's how you promoted yourself, right? You promoted yourself as this valuable asset that has knowledge beyond what we have. Yes, you talked to my client about MFA, but did you really talk to them? Did you impress upon them the importance of it? How far did you go? Or did you just sort of offer it and suggest it, you know, the same way a doctor might look at that thing on your neck go, ah, yeah, so you got something on your neck. That's interesting. All right, what's up with your shoulder, right? We'd agree that's not sufficient. So why is it sufficient that an MSP does the same thing with certain services? I'm thinking, okay, all right. That has not been the relationship that MSPs have with their customers to date, in my opinion. We have not uh, created a fiduciary relationship yet, but I could see the day coming as MSPs become more ubiquitous, as they become more important, as we rely on them more as a society, that there is this relationship imputed to MSPs, imputed, just assumed. And it might not be enough if an MSP walks in and sees a problem to just sort of observe it, but let it go and figure, ah, if something bad happens, then they'll know the value of us, then they'll hire us. You might be in a position now where you either have to go further in explaining your service or alternatively, alternatively, make it very clear in the contract, we are not a fiduciary. We are not. Our relationship is one of this contract. And if it's not in here, you don't get it. And you waive any other relationship that we might have, right? That was the impo- That was what the podcast was about. You have to start thinking in terms of risk, vulnerability uh, 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 to plaintiff's attorneys, unfortunately. And it was my position that MSPs now have to start either specifically saying we do not have a fiduciary relationship with you. We do not have that. Okay. Or, and, or they have to very clearly explain what is being offered and what is being declined and put the, the, the customer on notice that if an important service is being declined, they're not getting it. And there are bad things that can happen. And the client understands that, right? Doctor walks over to you and says, that's a, I see, you know, you're here for the shoulder. I see that thing on your neck. Um, I would like to look at that. No, doc, do not. Well, I think I should look at that because, you know, it could be a cancer. It could be, you know, something. It could be innocuous. It could just be a cyst, right, that we could get rid of. Doc, I don't want you looking at him here for the shoulder. Okay. Right? Now you would agree with me that the doctor tried. tried. You know, he even told you it could be cancer. Doc, I don't care. Just look at my shoulder. Okay. Now, could that different relationship there. Right. Now, could that also be implied in, say, the level of service where somebody wants, I just want the cheapest backup possible. I want my stuff backed up, but I don't want to spend a lot of money. So I see where I can spend 50 bucks a month to back up to the cloud. That's all I need. Right. But they get hit with ransomware. It attached the local backup if they have one. Right. And attach the cloud backup. Right. And now you've got to go back and say, well, that really wasn't the best plan for the backup. We should have done 
a local encrypted, a cloud encrypted and mm-hmm. retention policies. So I, that was what I was thinking of is that now we have to go more in depth with not just. I would agree with you. Okay. You're right, because in that, let's go with your hypothetical, right? So the MSP gives them the cheapest version because that's what the customer asks for, and that's the extent of the conversation. We have all these things. uh, This is the cheapest. Okay, we're going to go with the cheapest. And then something bad happens. You know the the conversation is going to go something like, uh, this solution didn't protect them from the, the malware that they got hit with, right, yeah. But you offer other solutions, right, right. And you offer other solutions because you know that this malware is prevalent, right, and would be devastating if it hit, right. And you're the trusted IT professional, right? Yes, we are. And you know things that my client doesn't know, right? But you didn't explain that to them, did did you? All you did was offer them options, and you let them choose the least option knowing of the risk. Well, it's their decision, right? They chose it understand but you allowed them to choose the smallest the weakest option knowing that there is a risk out there yes we did and in fact the risk that you knew about actually occurred didn't it yeah huh. right you see where i'm going well, with this? of course it's that's like, exactly no. what you know, lawyers can start to pick this apart and create something they create something out of nothing yeah that's exactly my thought thinking that i need yeah. to be able to present the options and say look if you go with this option you're not going to get all this protection. Right. Or just never don't even offer that at all. Say, look, we don't deal with that stuff because we know that that's not enough. So we offer this. I hear you. You know, one of the options is, okay, well, we're just not going to offer the bronze plan anymore. It's either silver or gold. We're not going to offer bronze. The problem is, is that sometimes bronze is what people can afford. And if they can't afford the silver or gold, they won't go with any plan. Right. So now we're almost encouraging them to, do nothing as opposed to doing the greatest thing they can do. So I think that there is probably not probably there is, in my opinion, a middle ground, which is you just have to explain it. And the customer has to be educated, right? You can't walk in and say, well, this is a plan that has malware protection uh, and backup. This one is just backup, no malware. Which one would you like? Uh, We'll take backup. Okay, very good. No malware. Uh, No, if you're a trusted IT person, you have to Lay it down. Okay, you understand that by taking this, yes, you're saving $10 a month per workstation. I get it. But you're going to need your own malware solution because this will not stop whatever, right? If you need your data back, it very well might be subject to malware itself. The backup might be infiltrated. You understand. You need to have another solution there. You got that? Yes. But you want to do that on your own? Yes. Okay. That's like you saying, uh, I want to check that out. No, doc, don't look at it. Okay. You know, you don't have to force them to do something. You have to explain it. Explanation and communication will reduce your liability, and it will create a – it will make things stay subject to a contract, and it will reduce the possibility that there's an implied fiduciary duty between you and your customer. And that's what I was talking about because I could see a day when – there will be a cottage industry of plaintiff's lawyers suing MSPs, right? Where your, was your stuff uh, infiltrated? Did your MSP allow malware to be, you know, to, yep. to, to stop you in your tracks? Call us, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the people. Well, that's something else. <laughs> yeah, well, let's not go there. I'm not, I'm not picking on anyone specifically. I'm just saying that I think that, you know, these cottage industries, they explore weaknesses and they, 
you know, drive a wedge in there and open it up, open it up to the point where you think, oh, my God, you know, we're just going to settle. We're just going to send it to the insurance company. Then your rates go up. No, just handle it now. Well, I know that, that this is definitely something to consider because a lot of IT professionals, MSPs are just like, well, I just won't deal with that. I just want right. to fix computers. So now the other part that I thought about as you were as I was listening to that podcast was a co-managed situation. Yeah. And so I have three currently that I, you know, inherited when I shouldn't say inherited long before I met you. So I'm still in the midst of redeveloping those relationships because Mm -hmm. um, we've not yet developed a master service agreement for those clients. Mm -hmm. Um, But my thought is that some of those clients and one prospect, and this is where I'm really going, is I want to have something for a prospect that has an IT person on staff, uh-huh. and they're already doing stuff, and they're like, well, we just need help with this for now, and we just want somebody available if we run into issues. So right. I walk in, I get a lay of the land, and I see things that, yeah, that's really not right. Your your backup isn't really a backup. Sure. Uh, your you know, your, your monitoring isn't really monitoring. Uh, you're just waiting for stuff to go down and then you react. That's right. not the engagement that I want to have. Right. It's but not to, a best practice. Right. Um, but in some cases, you really can't go in and force them to change what they're doing. So, yes. you know, is yeah. do you have a co-managed type agreement that well, so kind for- of works for that? Yeah. I'll tell you, a co-managed situation doesn't require a special MSA, right? Your MSA should be able to cut across all kinds of relationships, uh, co-managed, exclusive, and so on. But I do think, I do think that the the co-managed relationship needs to be called out in, uh, because there are certain things that are unique, right, to that relationship. For example, we know just being in the, in, the, in the industry, we know that very often in co-managed relationship, when the MSP comes in, they encounter resistance from the IT department. Why? Because if the MSP does its job, the IT guys might be out of it, their job, right. right? And they know this, they're not stupid, okay? Or most of the time, they're not stupid. So the idea is, you know, you have to anticipate the fact that you're going to have some resistance. That's one. Two. You're also going to have to anticipate that not only will you have resistance, but uh, you might be observing things that you know are incorrect, and you might be powerless to stop them. That's something else you need to think about. And the third thing you need to think about is the fact that as an IT provider, MSP, um, you you may want exclusive access to the system, and the IT department says, we can't have that. We need access, too. So you have that exclusive exclusivity problem. And how do you handle it? Well, you need to handle it in your agreement, okay? Your master agreement should contemplate co-managed environments. It doesn't, it's not the only type of paradigm you'll find yourself in, but it's certainly one that you'll come across quite often, often enough that it should be covered in your master agreement. And your master agreement should say, in the event that we're operating in a co-managed environment, meaning we are not the exclusive vendor 
know, performing services in the managed uh, on the managed network, or there are others to which uh, we are going with which with whom we are going to share responsibilities. Right? Define what that means. Then here's how we're going to play the game. Right? Here are the rules that we're going to lay out. Rule number one: We're going to perform the services that we have to perform pursuant to our proposal or quote that you've accepted. If we are unable to because of your internal IT department or other vendor, we will bring that to your attention. But we, I would specifically say you're not going to argue. You're not going to get into the, the, the fight with the other vendor. You'll simply say we will bring it to your attention and refrain from performing the service that we are prevented from performing. And you understand that in that position, we're not responsible. The idea is control your people, right? Control your dog. Keep your dog on a leash, Okay, if your dog is just jumping all over me, I'm not going to sit here and fight. I'm just going to simply walk away. And you have to understand that client and make them understand that through the MSA. Make them understand that if you have to give um, the keys to the kingdom, you're giving up exclusive access to to the network. You're giving up rude access or exclusivity to it. Then your client has to understand that things might happen related to the root access. And if they do, and if it you can show that it doesn't have to do with you, maybe through your log files, through your own, you know, your own way of keeping track of things, if you could say, we didn't have anything to do with it, then you're held harmless. Well, who did it? I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't us, right? If you can show, well, how do I know it wasn't you? Well, look at our records. We could show you we weren't even accessing the network right. at that time. Well, who was? Don't know. Remember, you're the one who made us give this these passwords over. They may have then passed those along. We don't know. We're held harmless. Right. So that's a scenario you need to think about in your master agreement, for sure. Yep, that's uh, exactly it. And I, I, I have so many scenarios in my head that I'm thinking of. I'm sure we, you know, obviously yeah. can't cover them all but here. I mean, but that's your situation reality. And that's what you and I have talked about in the past, right? Those yep. scenarios in your head, they're real. They're not, they're in your head because they're real and you're thinking about them. So you need to, not you, Marvin, I'm just saying <laughs> anyone who's listening, right? So I got my MSA right scenarios. here. Right. Scenario in my head, a upstream provider, they, they might fail. My client's going to think I'm responsible for that. Okay. Write that down, right? Upstream provider might fail. Am I responsible? Then go in your agreement and see if that's addressed, right? See, look in your agreement. It does, it's not rocket science. Read it. If you can't find it, it's probably not in there, which means you need to revise your MSA to address that reality. It's a real, it's important, it's keeping you up, you're thinking about it, it should be in your document. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was, uh, that could be a heavy, heavy topic. I'm sure you're going to get, I'm sure you already have had a lot of questions about that. And, about uh, a fiduciary and co-managed, <laughs> yeah. sure. I mean, all kinds of things. Microsoft NCE, we didn't even get into that kind of we thing. The licensing, oh, yeah, there's a lot going on these days. There is. It can all be addressed. You just have to address it. You have to take the time to address it. All right. Well, we will certainly uh, do that uh, throughout the years. Um, and I don't know how soon I'll be able to get you back because you will be out and about. So, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that join late, uh, we have been chatting with Bradley Gross, the law offices of Bradley Gross. He is, in my opinion, the technology lawyer, uh, as far as I'm concerned. That's that phrase, as for me and my house, we, <laughs> we will listen to Brad. 
Uh, but uh, his website, bradleygross.com, is where you can go find him and request more information if you need to get an MSA, a statement of work, or if you have more questions about some of the things we chatted about. Uh, definitely, as things start to change in the cyber insurance world, uh, we're going to be held to the fire on a lot more things. No so, doubt. There is a question in the chat I want to get to, but before we do that, uh, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I, again, let everybody know that the IT Business Podcast will be live as many Wednesday nights as I am available at 8 p.m. Eastern. We are also going to be having just other regular audio podcast. So sometimes I'll have a guest and they won't be here on the live show. I'll get them when I can get them. That'll be an audio podcast. I will also be having little short motivational Marv type podcast where if we come up with thoughts or somebody sends me a question and it's something that I want to get out pretty quickly, I may just do a little five, 10 minute podcast to tell you what I'm thinking, give you a little business tip. Um, hoping to help everybody there. So that's going to happen. And the IT Business Podcast, let me also show you that this episode and all of our episodes are presented by NetAlly. And NetAlly is your ally for networking, both wired and wireless. And when you hear this sound... That is what you should think about when you need to know where the best-in-class tools and software is that will help enable you to plan, install, validate, and troubleshoot vitally important wired and wireless networks more effectively. The bottom line is they have tools that will help you diagnose things much, much faster. And we are also, as I go to slide two, The live shows are sponsored by my good friend, John, Computers Done Right, committed to providing superior managed IT services and support. And for more information on John and his business there, head over to computersdoneright.com. And that is it for that. Let me remove that and... To the question in the field? Yes, we can do that. So sure. John writes a question. What do you do when X techs start their own company and undercut your prices and steal some of your clients? Uh, what I do is I call uh, my friend Vinny. He makes a visit, you know, we uh, <laughs> settle things, you know, remember I'm from New York. So this is how we do things. Uh, but if you want to do it the legal way, uh, which is how I recommend you do it. First of all, when X techs start their own company and undercut your prices and steal your clients. Okay. I think that the issue that you're touching on, John, relates to non-solicitation, right? That's a uh, stealing clients, stealing employees. That's all non-solicitation stuff. So just quick recap in 20 seconds or less of what non-solicitation is versus non-compete, right? A non-compete Non-competition means you flip burgers for me, so you cannot flip burgers again for anyone else for a certain period of time in a certain geographic area, okay? You did it for me, so you are restricted from practicing your trade for a certain amount of time in a certain area. 
That's non-compete. Most MSPs do not need non-competes. They, um, they're difficult to enforce. Judges hate enforcing them because if they're done correctly, the employee can't put food on his table. Literally, I mean, he has to move out of the state or the country or whatever to get out of that, that, that restriction. All right. But you don't need it. What you need is non-solicitation. A non-solicitation provision says, you were flipping burgers for me? No problem. You can go right next door. You could go to the apartment upstairs, whatever you want, flip burgers. Knock yourself out. But, but, you can't take my clients and you cannot take my employees. If you do that, right, if you stick to that restriction, just don't steal the clients that you became familiar with or learned about by working for me and you're not going to take my employees, yeah, absolutely. Go flip burgers, open up a business, go do it. So, John, your question is, you know, when, how do you prevent them from stealing your clients? All right. First, I believe that every one of your uh, employees, your meaning John, whoever you are, um, but any MSP, every employee should be bound to a non-solicitation agreement, probably usually embodied in a larger employment agreement. And, the non-solicitation should say that you're not allowed to take our clients, and by our clients, these are the people that you learned about and that you worked with as a result of working for us. You can't just say anybody, right? It's the people that you learned about or you worked with as a result of working for us, and it has to be a reasonable period of time, usually six months a year is usually reasonable. Most state statutes say two years, but that's the outer limits. I, I see no reason to go to the outer limits. So the idea is you want to have a restriction in that way. Note in some states like California, Colorado, uh, there are uh, there are a lot of difficulties in enforcing that type of thing, okay? Just so you're aware, it's state by state. But generally speaking, you want to think of a non-solicitation in that agreement. So if they leave and they open up their own company, they can't take your people. Now, oh, your clients, that's part A. Here's part B. In your MSA that you sign with your clients, okay, in that MSA, um, you have to have a non-solicit uh, provision in that as well. That particular document should say, if you work with us, you are not allowed to hire our employees or use their services should they go out on their own for a certain period of time. The idea is you're locking yourself down at the employee level and you're locking yourself down at the client level. You do both. So if one fails, you have another way to go, another route. That's how you should be doing it. So a quick question on that, only to clarify one point, and by the way, I believe the non-solicitation paragraph is the second longest paragraph in, in my MSA, so it, it covers a lot there. But in terms of if you do a multi-year lease or agreement with a client, so say three years, and your tech leaves after one, can you have in there where they can't solicit that obviously you want them to stay with you for the remainder remainder of the three-year contract. Um, but is that enforceable as long as they are under contract? And the reason I ask that is because if people do a month-to-month, they're right. going to say, well, we're month-to-month. If we leave you, we want to pick somebody else. Why can't we pick your employee that left? Yeah. So is your question, do you 
do you link the non-solicit term to the term of your contract right. with your client? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Yeah. I would say that you would never link it to the term of your contract. I don't care if they're working with you for one week or one year or 10 years. They could find your best guy inside or best woman, I should say, you know, uh, the best person. Uh, they could find that person within after working with you for 48 hours. Right. And that doesn't, and then they could quit, uh, you know, terminate your contract and, and go hire this person. No, I would say that as a, um, as a prerequisite to entry, right? As a prerequisite to working with the MSP, the MSP needs to have something in there that says anyone that you meet, that you work with in our company for a period of one year after our relationship ends, you cannot hire that person. That's what I would say. Well, I've only been working with you for two weeks. I don't care. You found our, you found the diamond inside of two weeks. I still need to protect my diamond. Yep. Yeah. And the reason you chose us is because we produced that diamond, right? <laughs> right. We have the diamond. And, right. you know, I have um, – MSAs can be written in very plain language. They don't have to be written in fancy language. It really depends on the business and how they want to do it. But, you know, I've written non-solicitation provisions that begin with, you know, we love our employees and we know you will too. So you're not allowed to steal them. Right. That's how we begin. <laughs> and that really gets the attention of the customer. And they say, OK, I get it. Yeah. You know, we train our employees. We put a lot of time into them. You're going to love them. We know this, which is why we want to keep them and we don't want our customers taking them from us. So here's, you know, here's how we're going to do it for a period of one year. After our relationship ends, you're not going to hire any of the employees with whom you worked while you worked with us. That's how you do it. Sweet. Straightforward. Yeah. All right. Well, John, I hope that answers your question. I see that you wrote thank you in the chat, so it sounds like it did. Well, Brad, before we go, I want to give you one more opportunity to talk about your podcast, the Technology Bradcast. One of the things that you also mentioned is that you're going to be doing some live shows where you're going to be allowing people to ask questions, kind of like we just did here. Um, yes. When does that start, and how do people sign up? Well, so the the, the podcast is technologybradcast.com, right? Not technology podcast, but technologybradcast.com. Uh, sign up, follow that. You can become a subscriber. It's free. Uh, episodes are about 36 episodes, all devoted to MSPs uh, and the uh, issues that they face. And through that, we're going to announce when we're doing the live shows and so on. And we are going to be doing live shows probably starting in April, realistically. It's not going to be this month, uh, but it will realistically probably be in April. And also, when you sign up for that, you end up on our newsletter list. We send out a newsletter maybe once a month where I tell everyone, hey, I'm going to be in this city. I'm going to be in that city. If you want to sit down with me, let me know. Send us an email. So like I said, next month I know I'm going to be in Kansas City. The month after that I'm going to be in Chicago. Uh, right after that I think I'm going to Boston. So sign up and you'll you'll get updated for sure. All right. So I will have those links in the show notes. Um, actually, somebody just asked about putting it on here. So let me see if I can grab it and talk at the same time. And throw that in there. Uh, for those of you that are watching live, if you're not watching live, it will definitely be in the show note so you can grab it. So here we go. It is uh, in the chat. 
All right. So that is going to do it, folks, for this episode. Brad, thank you very much. And I'm sure we will be running into each other at some of these events. I don't know if I'll be, well, I know I won't be traveling as much as you, uh, but uh, I will see you at, at at least one, maybe two of the ASCII events. And Great. maybe one of the other Florida events since uh, they're within driving distance and I can get there and back uh, in a day or so. So that should uh, be pretty good. Wonderful. All right. Looking well, forward to it. folks, thank you. Your mom. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you folks for either watching and or listening to this episode. We'll be back with another episode real soon. I appreciate your patronage. I hope that you will share the news and let everybody know about Uncle Marv's IT Business Podcast. We'll see you next week. And until then, holla.